you so much. You've been on a whole lot bigger podcast than mine. So <laughs> hey, no, this is all of them are equally as important. Trust uh, you, you've me. talked to far more important people. Hey, no, no, this is just as the... important to me. Trust me, it is just as important to me. Any opportunity, big or small, that I get to be a voice for my brother and speak on his behalf is a blessing to me. So thank you for taking the time. I am extremely excited to have our guest with us today on Floods of Justice. I have my friend Rolanda Holman with me, and uh, she is just an incredible lady and a wonderful uh, sister to Purvis Payne. Purvis Payne is a friend of mine who is currently on death row in Nashville, Tennessee, for a crime that he did not commit, completely innocent. Uh, but over 30 years ago, he was arrested, and he has been incarcerated since, and he has been on death row. Uh, Purvis was scheduled to have been executed about a year ago, but because of COVID, the executions in Tennessee were were halted, and uh, so COVID really saved his life. And since then, there's been some more evidence and new evidence and some other things that have come to light. And so recently, by recently, I mean just a few weeks ago, the DA in Memphis uh, decided to um, remove the death penalty from him and give him two life sentences. Now, while we're happy about that because he no longer is facing death. Uh, we're not finished yet. He needs to be completely exonerated of these charges. But in the meantime, the stress of living with a death sentence on you uh, has been taken off of Purvis. And for that, we are extremely grateful. And a lot of that is due to his sister and her advocacy for him. Now, this Monday, December the 13th, uh, Purvis has a hearing in Memphis, Tennessee. And the purpose of this hearing is really to decide if his two life sentences will be served uh, consecutively or all at one time and concurrent, I think is the word for it. And what we're praying for is that the judge will say that uh, the two life sentences can be concurrent because that means he will be eligible for parole uh, somewhat soon. And so Purvis has a chance of going home within the next few years. Now, Ultimately, though, we are still fighting again for his complete exoneration because he is innocent of these charges. But for a long time, for a couple of decades since Purvis has been behind bars on death row, his sister, Rolanda, has been fighting for his innocence. Recently, the Innocence Project took up his case, uh, his own defense attorney, uh, Kelly Henry, and uh, and so we're just so excited for what has happened. There have been people literally all around the world who have heard his story and who have spoken up for him. And so um, if you listen to this before December the 13th, uh, pray that the hearing goes well. If it's after the 13th, well, then just pray that Purvis, one way or another, gets to go home very, very soon. Wouldn't it be great if God intervened and he was home in time for Christmas? I couldn't think of a better uh, Christmas present. And so again, I'm excited to have Rolanda. And so welcome Rolanda Holman to Floods of Justice. If you have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter five. And I wanna read verse 24, where the prophet Amos says, I wanna see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev, he is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. 
He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the Coffee House at 2nd and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Floods of Justice. And uh, I am extremely excited about our guest, uh, Rolanda Holman. Um, she is the sister of uh, Purvis Payne. And uh, uh, I know a lot of you know about uh, Purvis and the Innocence Project and the people who have been out to um, uh, get him exonerated. Uh, but basically, over 30 years ago, uh, he was um, found guilty for a, uh, for a murder that he did not commit. And he's been on, he was sentenced to death and he's been on death row uh, since that time. And uh, his sister has been fighting, I guess, all those years to get him off death row and to get him exonerated. And uh, I had the privilege of, um, of meeting her um, a while back at a, at a rally in Murfreesboro uh, for him. And uh, there's been rallies in Memphis every week for a long time, uh, free Purvis Payne which is the t-shirt that Rolanda has on today. I should have wore mine. Um, and, um, but Purvis is a friend of mine. I see him on death row. Uh, some of you know the story of, of Kevin Burns and, and how our church ordained him. And he's one of our pastors and he has a church on death row. And uh, um, Purvis would really be his right-hand man in that church. He's, he's you know, If there's a deacon in the church on death row, it would be uh, it would be Purvis, and he and KB are best friends, and uh, and so over the years, I've gotten to know him, I've gotten to know him as well. Uh, he's even um, through audio uh, been involved in a couple of our church services. I don't know if you knew that, Rolanda, but we've had him recorded uh, giving greetings and praying, and then we we play it um, during during our church service, and um, and so you know I'm excited. Um, what's going on. Um, if, you're, if you live in Tennessee and follow his story, well, then you know a few weeks ago, um, the district attorney in the Memphis area um, went ahead and uh, said they weren't going to fight anymore. And they um, commuted his, his death sentence to, to uh, two life sentences. Um, and, um, and so he doesn't face death anymore, which is really a miracle from God because he was scheduled to be executed last December, um, and um, but those executions were halted. There were four or five executions during COVID that were halted because of COVID, and uh, Purvis is one of them. And so, you know, I'm working on the editorial that I'm hoping will be in the newspaper in the next couple of weeks, where I mentioned how close Tennessee came to executing an innocent man, and um, and so we thank God that uh, he intervened. Uh, there's a hearing Monday. Um, for um, a Purvis in Memphis, where um, the goal is obviously exoneration, but but the second goal is is that the two life sentences will run concurrent, uh, which will then put Purvis in position to be paroled very very soon. And even once he's once he's paroled, he can still fight for his exoneration and complete, um, you know, that he just did not do this. And and uh, we we had Purvis's lawyer on our podcast back in October, and so I encourage people to go back and listen to it. Uh, if you want more of the details about the case and what all happened. Uh, but let me just, before um, Rolanda talks, let me just kind of give a summary of, um, of, of the case or what happened that, that night um, down in, it wasn't actually in Memphis, right? It was in a, it was in a neighboring county. Is that right, Rolanda? Uh, in Millington, Millington, Tennessee. Yeah, okay, which is part mm -hmm. of Shelby, that's Shelby County still, right? But just, just Yeah, Millington. And um, so he was going to his girlfriend's house um, apartment and she'd been out of town, if I remember right. So and so he was going over there to, to greet her when she got home. 
And uh, as he was walking into the apartment complex in the distance, he saw someone running away, but didn't think much about it. But then when he got, as he was going to his girlfriend's apartment, he heard some noise in another apartment and the door was open. And when he went in there, there were the three victims on the floor and, um, um, and he knelt down and, and uh, cradled the mom. And uh, the mom still had, a, had the knife in her neck and, uh, and she wanted it and she was motioning to take it out and he took that out. Uh, but then when he heard the sirens, he panicked. Now, Purvis had never been in trouble with the law before, didn't have a record of any kind, did not know this, this, this lady or the family at all. But when he heard the sirens, he panicked and ran. And, we, of course, then when they, when they found him, his fingerprints were on the knife because he took it out of the body and, and blood was all over his clothes. And so then the police just focused on him and him only. And uh, she, she had a restraining order against her ex-husband. She had been a victim of domestic violence through him uh, for years. And, uh, and there's other things that happened um, that they just, the police never looked into. And then they, they squelched certain evidence that would have exonerated him and didn't give it to his defense attorneys. And then over time, like just last summer or so, um, when, when the request was made for some of this evidence to be turned over that the prosecution said they had, when they get to find it, it was gone. <laughs> And, um, and there was some new evidence that did help, but, but some of the evidence had just disappeared. So lots and lots of injustices in this case. And so we're, we are thrilled that Purvis no longer has to uh, have the death sentence over his head. Um, and we're excited about that, uh, but the battle is not over yet. It won't be over until he is completely exonerated and is able to go home uh, with his family. So with that as a background, welcome. Rolanda, and I'll just turn it over to you. All right. Thank you so very much. I'm so blessed to be here uh, with you. I know we've been wanting to do this for some time, and I'm so grateful the time has finally come. I uh, just want to add uh, something you were saying as you were um, going, you know, speaking briefly about what happened on that day uh, with Purvis. We were, I have always been told um, growing up by my dad. Um, even when my sister and I started driving, and when we started driving, Purvis was already incarcerated, but he would always tell him, and, and, I and I remember him telling, my dad telling him, as well as us, and we started driving, when you go through Memphis, I mean, Millington, Tennessee, always drive the speed limit, because you don't want to be stopped by the Millington Police Department. And he would tell us, you know, if you are stopped, you know, do comply and this, that, and the other because of the history and the racist history that Millington had carried. And, you know, you mentioned something about um, he, of course, yes, he did pull the knife out of the victim's throat. And, you know, that may have been something that you and I may not would, would have done. But, you know, we do know that Purvis does uh, live and suffer suffer with an intellectual disability. And sometimes they're not able to process, those who live with that kind of condition is not able to process thoroughly or how to make decisions, uh, wise decisions in such a situation uh, that may be so traumatizing like that. But the, the his handprint was, when we did the DNA on the knife last year, um, his handprint was not on the handle of the knife. There was an unidentified male whose um, handprint was on the, the handle of the knife. Uh, his handprint was, um, was on the hilt of the knife where he did have a little cut. And I think Kelly talks about this on her podcast. And if you look at the cut of his hand, it was just a little bit of a cut when he went to pull the knife out 
his hand slipped just a little bit. He had a little baby little cut right here. And you know, if you if you stab someone and this brutal crime that happened with these uh, victims back then, there is no way in the world you would not have DNA on the handle of the knife. And there is no way in the world that you will only have a little nick. Like your hand should be totally, totally cut up in some type of way. And so uh, because someone may say, well, why was it he that did not exonerate him? Well, that the DNA that they were able to determine that was on the handle of the knife was not enough or not strong enough to pick up in their CODIS uh, database, which is what just the database that the FBI uses to uh, find um, you know, other people through DNA. It was not strong enough to pick that up. So that was not enough to, um, to exonerate him. So because of that, we're still working on some other ways and other, you know, to be able to exonerate him. And um, you did mention the victim's, you know, ex-husband. During that time, they did not go and question him. They did not um, look for anyone else. You know, they felt that they had their guy and they, you know, of course, he's a black male and he, these are white victims. And I, that was enough. And I've often said, I said, and I call him Bubba. So if you hear me say Bubba, uh, you probably know that I want you to know that I'm referring to Purvis. But I told him many years ago, I said, as soon as they saw the color of your skin, you were definitely convicted, mm -hmm. you know, regardless of what you had to say. Uh, it didn't matter if you, you know, if you screamed, if you didn't say something, if you just said something, it didn't matter what you were already um, convicted of this crime by the color of your skin. And so now we are, you know, able to uncover and discover many things that we would have hoped our uh, defense counsel during that time would have done. And it, it is very detrimental when you have uh, ineffective counsel. And that's exactly what occurred with Purvis's case. If we had a Kelly Henry past the rigs back in 1987 when this happened, you nor I would be talking right now. Uh, but because, you know, he did not test the evidence back then, you know, now the ex-husband is deceased, you know, maybe he could have looked at the ex-husband. Everybody know from watching Law and Order, I can go back further than that and say when Murder, She Wrote, and Perry Mason, right? They would always go to the ex-husband, the boyfriends or whoever to see, you know, you that's always the first um, suspect or I don't know if you want to call it suspect or whatever person of interest, I would say, yeah. that you would go to first. And this was never, never, ever something that was considered. And so my mother would always say, you know, per this happened on a Saturday and my mother would come, she came home and she said, you know, Purvis would, would uh is going to is telling the truth that he's going to be home by the end of the week they're going to fix this they're going to sort all of this out he'll be home by the end of the week and neither did we ever realize that that end of the week was going to be 34 years you know later to this day yeah. and i even remember my mother went to the militant police department because they were saying that of course purvis he had a motive he did not know the the victim um, his girlfriend lived right across the hall from her. And it's definitely probably like five or six steps. That's how close the complex was across from the hall from each other. And, but he didn't know her, you know, he didn't know her name. He didn't know anything about her. But of course, the, the prosecutor um, said that he created this 
uh, motive that Purvis wanted. Uh, he was on drugs and he tried to uh, solicit sex from her. When she refused, he went on this killing frenzy. And uh, my mother went to the, the military police department and she said, if my son is on drugs, test him. Now imagine if they would have tested him at that time. You are no more, I still would be talking because he would not have had any drugs in his system. And, um, and they, they, they refused to do so. And so, you know, here we are today, you know, we're still fighting for that justice and we're fighting for that truth. And it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to fight for justice. And, and that may not sound right. And, I'm, and it's not even supposed to sound right because justice should not be something that's difficult to fight for. But when it comes down to people of color, we have to get millions of signatures. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at what happened with Julius Jones, you know, he's he's had one of the fastest growing and most signatures on any um, petition to save someone's life, I think, ever recorded in history. And so when you look at that, and the, uh, it shouldn't take that entourage of people to be able to fight for justice, to just get one sentence overturned. But once the truth has been manipulated and it has been poisoned by our justice system, then it takes a lot for the truth to be re-exposed. But I believe, as my dad always said, is that he said, a lie has wings and the truth has legs. He said, a lie will travel faster than the truth, but once the truth arrives, it will stand on its own. And I believe in that. You know, although they have covered the truth, Although they have come and manipulated it and twisted and turned it to make it seem like this is the truth of what happened with purpose pain, I believe that the truth is coming. And I believe what we see and what we saw on November the 18th when the district attorney um, unexpectedly, as a believer, we expect it. We just don't know when it's going to come, okay? Um, but as a believer, you always expect because that's the faith and that's the hope that we have. But you never know when it's going to come. So we didn't know it was going to come in the way that it did. But so that's why I say unexpectedly. I believe that's part of the truth getting ready to come on the scene. I believe that's the cry of justice that is saying I'm getting ready to uncover some things. Um, so. I believe that's why we where we are today with his case and him being off of death row. Uh, we're we're not out of the woods yet, but him being off death row is definitely a step and a point in the right direction as it relates to justice being served. Yeah, you know, Dr. King said the arc of the universe bends toward justice. And, and, I, and I think he chose that, the, that wording intentionally because the idea of it bending toward justice is that it's kind of a slow process. It's, you got <laughs> you gotta bend it. You can't really turn it. You gotta bend it toward justice. And I was at a, um, I was at a conversation, had a conversation yesterday with a lady who'd just written a book um, and the title of the book was uh, Bend the Ark. Uh, and it was kind of about this and, and she's a lawyer and she referred to it as the criminal legal system and would not, say criminal justice system because there's so much injustice in it. Oh yeah. And, uh, so it's just the criminal, uh, the criminal legal system. And I hope some people who listen to what Rolanda said caught some of the things that she was saying. Now, you know, I think everybody who knows me knows I'm an abolitionist for against the death penalty. It just has no place 
in our society, it goes against the, the totality of the teachings of scripture and the words of Jesus, I think. Um, and so it doesn't matter if somebody did or didn't do it. The, the death penalty is not uh, what followers of Jesus uh, should follow. But here in this case, it's somebody who is completely innocent, which even, which even makes it uh, just more of an abomination that, that uh, our, our, the way that our criminal legal system is set up, uh, the prosecutors and the DA and all those, they don't want to admit they made a mistake. Uh, because basically, if they admitted they made a stake in one case, that causes all their cases to come into question. And so they will mm -hmm. fight tooth and toenail um, to um, make sure that a sentence does not get overturned. And so just the fact that the DA, not necessarily out of the blue, because there have been discussions going on for a long time, but in a sense, out of the blue, calls up and says, we decided to do this. Um, you know, KB tells me all the time that all God's got to do is whisper in somebody's ear at night. And, and, once, exactly. God, and once God whispers, you know, what KB says, God could come to a judge in the sleep and say, you need to let, let my son go. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of what happened. That's just something happened. And because Purvis and I have been talking every time I would see him, I, we were taught, we would talk in preparation for the meeting for the hearing Monday you know, mm -hmm. and that we were hoping uh, that at the end of that meeting, what has happened would happen, um, mm -hmm. you know, but it was right. that meeting right. and yeah. just, how's it going? Are you excited? You know, and, and he talks about how much he just enjoys the ride from Nashville to Memphis because he hasn't, you know, obviously he, he can't get out. And so just, he right. enjoys the scenery. Um, and then for this, all of a sudden to um, this is the, this is what's going to be, and and that on the news and the pictures in the paper of Purvis breaking down and hugging his lawyer. That's just yeah. That's just uh, something else. Now I got to be honest with you. I tuned in a little bit to your church service Sunday, and I heard your pastor talking about you over off to the side, off the camera, kind of getting caught up in the spirit a little bit. So <laughs> I was I was rejoicing with you. I was like, well, move the camera. Let me see it. Let me. Hey, see it. listen. I'm gonna tell you something. I didn't, I, I was, I kind of thought maybe he would say something about it, but I was like, you know how you try to hold it together. I was really trying to hold it together. But when he was like, can we just celebrate with her? Can we help her praise? And I was just, I just lost it. And, and the funny thing is that when he said, um, he said, when he said, Rolanda, what would you do when, when this happens or something like that? He said, they didn't show me, but I took off running, Pastor Riggs. <laughs> I took off running and I had my high heels on, right? So I just took off running because I'm like, oh my God, Lord, if that happened, I mean, like I expect it to happen. I'm just going to run, 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 run for my life. But, you know, that's what I expect. I believe that I should not, and they, and I, you know, grew up in a church. Of course, my pat, my father is a pastor, been a pastor for many years. And so we grew up, you know, knowing how to have faith. And, but sometimes you don't really know how to have faith, Pastor Riggs, until your faith is tested to, to when the rubber meets the road. And then you have to, you know, try your best to apply what you've learned. But even in doing that, you still have to ask God, like the man said, I believe but Lord help my unbelief because sometimes our faith gets tested in so many different ways. So I have really had to ask the Lord on how to help me, help me to have faith, help me to not let my faith waver. So how I respond now is how I know I'm going to respond then. Like, you know, my pastor say, you know, we've seen you, 
you know, praise and worship God before this even happened. You know, I, I don't wait until, you know, the end, him getting off death row. I was already a worshiper. You know, my, my worship is my safe place. My worship is where I feel like I, I can find if I'm if I'm feeling some kind of way, I feel like that's where I can go to Jesus and I can find him. My worship is where I feel like I don't have to be ashamed and I don't have to cover myself, that I can be naked and unashamed in his presence. And I can say, Lord, it's me, oh me, standing in the need of prayer. And, and I feel that that's where I find my peace and my comfort because people ask me, how do you keep going? How do you keep going like this? And I, sometimes I say, and, and it's not to be deep and profound, but it's the truth. It is really the grace of God. And I've learned his grace in a totally different fashion than I ever have known in my life because going through this situation and, and dealing with this with purpose, because there are many days I felt the Lord carry me. You know, I felt his grace lift me. You know, I felt his grace guide me. And uh, for that, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really, really grateful. But I, you know, I always said, everybody talked about, you know, district attorney in Shelby County. And, and I will always say, I said, giants do fall, mm. right? You, you may not see it, but giants do fall. You may not believe it, but giants do fall. And every Pharaoh has its day. And she may be our Pharaoh, but every Pharaoh has to say, I've been saying that since the beginning. We started this whole campaign. You know, Kelly can tell you, Dr. Johnson can tell you, Kim Keel can tell you. I've always said that. And when this happened on the 18th, uh, you know, we were preparing, as you were saying, talking to Purvis about the 13th, the week of the 13th. Next week was going to be a whole week of us preparing for his intellectual disability for that hearing. And we were believing that, you know, he was going to be deemed, you know, the judge would concur as well, that he would be um, intellectually disabled. But we didn't know that the district attorney was going to have this, this press conference. Kelly didn't know. Yeah. So Kelly ended up calling me because somebody, one of her teammates, uh, colleagues called her and was like, hey, check your email, check your phones. And she called me just hysterical. And I was like, wait, Kelly, hold on a second. Wait a minute, wait a minute. And I was sitting right here in my office when I got the call and we were just in disbelief. Wow. And I said, what in the world happened? She doesn't know what happened. I don't know what happened, yeah. but I know it was a God thing. Yeah, you know, no. there's no other There's no other explanation. And it just makes, um, you know, what, what KB has said, you know, and I, I don't know if you know this or not, I think you do, but you know, we ordained Kevin Burns and, and, and in a lot, in a, I'm not just saying this to say it in a lot of ways, Kevin has, has become my pastor. Um, you know, I, and sometimes I feel bad because I go visit him and, and we start talking and I end up just, I need some advice and just kind of vent because pastoring is hard. Right. Oh, yeah. And, I, and I'm oh, just yeah. like, Kevin, I, you know, I'm really struggling this week. And, and so he ministers to me uh, you know, more than a, uh, more than I, more than I think the other way. And because, I mean, that's just, you, you know, Mother Teresa said, you never know Jesus is all you need till Jesus is all you got. And, and that's kind of, yes. that's kind of, I think, 
where some of the guys on death row are, where their families are, um, that, you know, but God, nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing's going to change. And, um, and so we see this um, and uh, we're just excited. But what I was going to say earlier that I hope people were listening to was that, that there is a, a big part of this is race related. Um, and, um, you know, the guys on death row, um, close to half, not quite, but it's in the 40s, around 45% or so of the guys on death row are African-American. Um, and so you live in a state where, where the African-American population is only about 16%, but 45 or more percent of the guys on death row are African-American. And then to make it even worse, it's right at 40% of the guys on death row are from Memphis. Um, and so you've got this one contingent of people who 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 um, will get death row more than anything else and when it comes to death row and race what i got to tell people is it's not it's not so much although part of it is it's not so much the race of the perpetrator as much as it is the race of the victim and when you add those two together if you're an african-american male and you murder a white female uh, the odds of getting the death penalty in tennessee or really across the country are significantly higher than if it, if it was a um, African-American and an African-American female or a white American male and a white female. But if you're an African, that goes way back to slavery and all of that and, and different things um, that the, the system is just unjust. I don't want to say it's broken because it's probably doing what it was intended to do. Um, but, it, but it is just an unjust uh, system. And I've said, I've said for years that even, you know, because I got a lot of people who believe that the bible says under certain circumstances capital punishment is is permissible but i'm like so even if you think that capital punishment is just we as human beings we cannot do it justly uh, and yeah. so it shouldn't be and so it shouldn't be done at all we've got you know i, I think depending on which study you read uh, anywhere from five to seven percent of people on death row are innocent of the crimes that put them on death row mm -hmm. um, and even in in tennessee you know, I was telling you before we went on the air that that when Purvis gets to Unit 6, that'll be six guys at Riverbend in Unit 6 who used to be in Unit 2, which is death row. And so there's mm -hmm. a high degree of error yes. in this. And um, and so the odds, again, or the, the, the thought that our state came within uh, a month or two of executing, because it was only, it was about three months out, I think, right before the governor uh, canceled Purvis's execution. It was a month. A month. Okay, so we came like a month. Yeah, because he was supposed to be executed December the third, and the I think the reprieve came on uh, November the sixth. Okay. So it was a little shy of a wow. of a month. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. so we came that close to executing, and not only executing an innocent man, but Purvis is one of the twenty some odd guys on death row who signed a letter uh, requesting the governor to come pray with him. And uh, and Governor mm -hmm. Lee today has refused. He talks a lot about prison reform and he just gave clemency to a bunch of people, uh, mm -hmm. but he has refused to go to death row, a governor who ran on his Christian faith um, mm -hmm. and has refused to go to death row and pray with these guys. Um, and, and Purvis is one of those guys. And I have assured people who are close to the governor that this request is not a chance to argue about the death penalty, but it is a legitimate request. We just wanna come and pray with you and and uh, and and you pray with us and that's and that that's all we can we can debate the issues later but that's that's what yeah. because you wow. got to get to know yeah. these guys I mean the um, Purvis is a wonderful person um, soft spoken um, and just um, I mean he he loves God but he loves other people as well mm -hmm. never been in trouble 
before he went in prison, even in prison, he hasn't, he, he hasn't been in any trouble. Um, and, uh, and this perception that is built that um, people in prison, not just death row, but people in prison are these monsters is just, uh, is just not true. Jesus came, he specifically says in Luke 4, and he came for the prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't yeah. say he came for for for. It doesn't specifically say say he came for me living in the suburbs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, right. For everybody, right? But he specifically uh -huh. says, you know, the spirit yeah. of the Lord is upon me. He's anointing me to preach good news to the poor and to release the prisoner. And mm -hmm. um, and so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I tell people, you don't if you're going to do prison ministry, you don't take Jesus in the prison with you. You go to prison to meet Jesus because <laughs> he yes. Yes. he is already there. And wow. So tell me what's going to happen Monday exactly. Yeah. So Monday is now we're, we're of course, thank God. Okay, we don't let me have interrupt. This is Monday, uh, December the 13th. Monday, December the 13th. Yes. Or, or is it, so Monday. No, yeah, that's December, right. Monday, December, Monday, December the, 13th. the 13th. So whenever yeah. people watch this or listen to the podcast, they'll know what Monday we're talking about. Right, right. So on next Monday, which is December the 13th, we will be um, in Memphis at 201 Popular, uh, Division One, fifth floor. Uh, judge Paula Skane will be the judge who will be hearing uh, us. Kelly will be presenting why she feels that his sentence should be concurrent, which will allow him to be eligible for parole uh, soon uh, versus consecutive. If it's consecutive, then he will not be, he will not get out of prison until he's like 80. So they, she would like to those sentences to run concurrent. And so she will be presenting uh, information then. And, you know, we'll, that's what we'll be hoping that the judge will, will do. So in the meantime, uh, we have asked people to uh, write letters and, and email those letters to Kelly because she wants to, present those letters to the judge. And so those letters basically just need to say simply, you know, please allow uh, Purvis's sentence to be concurrent. Simple as that, <laughs> you know, and sign your name and you can email that to Kelly. It's uh, K-E-L-L-E-Y underscore Henry, H-E-N-R-Y at F-D.org. So that's Kelly underscore, underscore Henry at fd.org. You can send that email that to her. She'll print it out and present that to the judge. Um, and so we that's what we believe. So that's what we'll be doing. It'll probably be maybe a, no more than two days. Uh, we're definitely expecting a day, no more than two days. Mm -hmm. So we'll be there at least um, next Monday, the 13th and the 14th. What time? And is so one. Uh huh. Go what, ahead. I'm sorry. What time does it start Monday? Um, nine thirty. Okay. Nine thirty, and we'll have a prayer. We normally every before every hearing, we do have a prayer outside of two hundred one popular, right there on the corner of Washington and BB King. Uh, we'll have a prayer there, and normally the press is there, and we'll you know have a prayer before we go in and and um, start the court date. And one reason, um, one thing that I, I believe that she will present to the judge is the fact that, and you can hear this even on the, when we went to court um, last, when he had his emotional uh, breakdown there, is um, Kelly 
said then, she said, Your Honor, he's never been in any, been written up one time since he's been incarcerated. And that that stays a lot as you were speaking earlier. You know, he's soft-spoken. And the same character that you see, Pastor Riggs, is the same character that I knew of my big brother. You know, I would tell people all the time, I said, I say that you know a family member, you know your brothers, you know your sisters, you know that person when that family member comes, you say, oh my God, they're about to ask for some money, borrow some money, you know, you know that family member is going to come with a lot of lies and, you know, oh my God, they're getting ready to lie. You know your family members. And that's why my mother was so confident to go down to the military police department and say, hey, if you think my son is on drugs, test him. Because she knew her son. She knew her, she knew that, you know, I'm not, she wasn't saying that her son was perfect, but one thing that she knew that she knew her son wasn't a killer and she knew that her son didn't do drugs, you know, so you know your children, you know your family, I knew my big brother, there is a picture that's um, even I think it's on the website purposepain.org. If you have not signed the petition, please go out and do so. Where he's holding my sisters in my hand. And that's the way he always was. He was always, you know, looking out for us. And he was always that big brother, you know, and trying to keep us from getting in trouble. Like, you do this. Don't, no, no, no. She's, mama's going to get you. Dia's going to get you. Don't do this. You know, he was always that, that one that's looking out for us. And so, you know, there was never a thought in our mind or a question in our mind of, of him doing this. And and when I'm asked the question, what do you want people to know about Purvis? I always say, number one, that he's an innocent man. You know, this is not something that I think, this is something that I know, you know, that he is an innocent man. And that's, that's one of the reasons that we fight so hard for justice. And we are grateful that his life has been spared. Uh, December the 3rd was actually the third um, execution date that he's actually received. And the Lord has been kind to hear our cry, to hear our prayer, to hear our hearts, and to spare his life every time. And I believe that, as my dad's been saying from, you know, when we started this this whole thing, maybe uh, September of 2019, my dad said that the Lord didn't bring us this far to leave us now. Uh, and And it's too late to give up now. Like, we're in the thick of it now. So it's too late for us to give up now and what we see that's happening before us. So we're even more encouraged and more strengthened and we have even more hope, you know, and I often tell people this too. I said, hope for me, and this is the definition that the Lord gave me. Hope is, um, is what we anticipate. Okay. It's what we, it's the expectation and the, and the, um, it's the expectation and the anticipation that something good is going to happen. It is the assurance that it hasn't happened yet, but it will. So I keep that expectation and that anticipation that something good is going to happen. And I have the assurance that it may not have happened yet, but it will. And that's what I hold on to is my faith and my hope. And when this happened on November the 18th, that elevated my faith and that elevated my hope even more that something good is about to happen. And I still feel like that, Pastor Riggs. I still feel that goodness that's in the air. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you in that and stand in agreement with you. 
um, over all of that. I, I told Rolanda this before we went on the air, but I want, I want to share it now. I, after Kelly Henry was on our podcast, I received a phone call. Um, can't remember the lady's name, but um, she was a high school uh, a high school classmate of Purvis's. And, uh, and she called me and, uh, and, and just went on and on about uh, how she knew Purvis and, and not that it mattered, but this was a white, this was a white lady. Um, and uh, she knew Purvis and everybody in his hometown knows that this is not Purvis, that there's no way he did this. This was not his character. He was a, he was a likable person all through school. And then, so he has his, he has his hometown, uh, I think cheering for him, uh, or at least his home community, those who knew him. And after 30 some odd years, you know, after 30 some odd years in prison, you can't fake it for so long. And, and eventually your true character is going to come out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what Purvis's character has been is what it's always been just a, a kind hearted, soft spoken person who would not hurt anybody who wants to help everybody. And I think it's important too, to point out that that there's a huge difference in saying that Purvis has an intellectual disability uh, and saying that someone has a mental illness that, that, that those are two two different things um, yeah. and uh, and we're and so we're, it's an intellectual disability it's not uh, it's not a, a mental illness um, that that Purvis has um, and um, but an intellectual disability like lots of people have um, and uh, and you know, again, we shouldn't execute anyone, but especially people who have these intellectual disabilities. Um, and um, uh, just, just, it's just not, it's just not the right thing. You know, we, the one time Jesus was faced with a capital punishment, he said, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. Oh, yes. Um, and so I think by application, he was telling us that, you know, we, we do not as human beings have the right to decide who lives and who dies. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless, but again, when you have a case where somebody is completely innocent, um, then um, then that just makes it even even more horrible to think what what could happen. And so um, I encourage everybody to to be in prayer on Monday and Tuesday of next week on the 13th and 14th of December. Um, if you're in the Memphis area, get down there to uh, to the courthouse and stand in solidarity with this you know it's a big deal that the innocent project picked this up i mean they don't yes, they they're yes. pretty selective on who they on yes. who they decide to um uh who they decide to pick up and fight for and uh, yes. so i'm glad is, you mentioned them yeah. because i wanted to i meant to say that earlier about them and it, and it uh, i got to talking about something else but yes to have their support has has been able to allow us to move many mountains, you know, by having um, their support. And, you know, as you were saying that they would not have come on board or dis- or even looked at this had they not seen mm-hmm. a case of, of innocence here. And so they have been such a huge supporter and we are so grateful to be able to have them uh, fighting with us. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. I, and again, We're I think, grateful. you know, uh, unfortunately um, this kind of stuff happens um, you know, people, this idea that, well, people have that, well, you know, he must have done something, you know, or, or people in prison did something to deserve it. No, no, no. You, you get close to the justice system um, and you realize mm-hmm. just how unjust it can be. And uh, yeah. that's not to, mm-hmm. to try to say everybody involved in the, in, in the system is bad, but, uh, but man, alive, it, there's just, there's so much um, injustice in what we call the justice system. 
and yes. this is a big one here and and we are praying that um that it's going to be rectified and and um and that again we're thrilled that Purvis doesn't have the death penalty hanging over his head but we're not going to be satisfied till he's exonerated and, absolutely. Uh, you know, absolutely he's got a strong family I, I was told the other day that uh that your dad is your that your dad was and him were painters uh pain brothers painting or something like that so pain and son yep pain and son uh-huh <laughs> And so will he, will he go back to painting when he gets out? <laughs> I don't know. Because, you know, my dad doesn't paint anymore. You know, he's retired now. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, what I envision for, for Purvis is, you know, him going around the world telling his story, you know, trying to, um, I told him that I, I have a nonprofit for us that I've been, I've been working on. And um, to give people a voice of hope, especially those who still are on death row and who uh, doesn't, who are innocent. I think it's worth any person to say, I didn't do this. Everybody to say they didn't do it is not lying because I know my brother, okay? And I know my brother is not lying when he say, I did not do this. And sometimes they say, oh, every person in, 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 um, in jail say they didn't do it. But it's worth looking into, you know, it's worth listening to them at times. And I know sometimes when you get in prison, you don't have that voice. I'm grateful to be able to be the voice outside of prison for my brother, you know, to try to humanize him, to get people to see what type of person he is, what type of family that he come from. But you have many inmates in there, and you know this, Pastor Riggs, by visiting them on death row. They don't have family members who can be that voice. They don't have anybody on the outside who can be able to advocate for them uh, and fight for their right and fight for their justice. So I, I envision, you know, us having that nonprofit for those states. If it's the, if they're still uh, uh, participating or uh, using the death penalty, let's be that voice, you know, for them. Let's try to abolish it. I, I pray that we're able to do be the next state in Tennessee to get rid of the death penalty. If Virginia can do it, Tennessee can do it. And, and Tennessee in Virginia uh, is no more racist than Tennessee. They all carry the same thing. You look at Dr. Martin Luther King was killed. You know, they ran out of B. Wells uh, out of Memphis, Tennessee. So we have many, if they can come to that point, there is, there is hope for Tennessee as well. So I, I just envision us being able to do that. I believe he's gonna have a great story to tell. And I think many people uh, will want to hear his story. And that's what I envisioned for him to be doing. Um, I anticipate us to be, to be, notice I say us, he and I, to be very busy being that voice of hope for many people who, are, who have been like him. Yeah, well, I look forward to having him at my church uh, in person, not on audio. Absolutely. Actually, uh, actually there. And uh, I agree, I agree with you. And I wish we could have met under better circumstances, but I'm glad that uh, God and his sovereignty saw fit for us to cross paths. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. I often say that, you know, on this journey, I have met some amazing people. I mean, some people like yourself and, you know, the other uh, men that come out and, you know, with the death penalty and you, you know, how you all teach them and you all spend time with them and, let them express themselves anyway. I have met many amazing people. And, and let, as a song say, I couldn't take nothing back from Journey right now. I couldn't take it back because it's just been such, so, so beautiful to have my 
extended family of brothers and sisters. So it's it's been it's been a blessing. It really has. And a blessing that I would wouldn't have never known would have come in such a sweet and a beautiful way. And how God takes something it's so dark mm-hmm. and brings so much light. And that's what I feel that has happened. You know, people say, how did you do I didn't do this. It's people like yourself, Pastor Riggs, who gives me the push to keep going and the support. You know, and it's all of us, like the Kelly Henry's, the Innocent Projects, you know, those who, when we started off with Team Pain, um, that little small core group, where we would put our heads together and we would pray and we would say, God, give us direction, give us what to do. And to see where we are today, it was a group effort. So um, I pat everybody, everybody on the back, everyone who's ever signed the petition, everyone who's ever sent up a prayer for purpose. I appreciate that because it's them who's allowed us to get to where we are today. And it's them who is going to allow us to see him walk through those doors. Amen. That's, that's a great place to stop. So thank you so much uh, for being <laughs> thank here. You. If you haven't yet, go to, to freepurvispain.org or is it just freepurvis.org? Which one is it? Um, it's purvispain.org. Okay. Just purvispain.org. Get you a mm-hmm. t-shirt. They even have sweatshirts that look like that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. My sweatshirt came in the other day, actually. Right. Now do know it takes some time for the sweatshirts to come, but do go ahead and order it and uh, you'll be glad you did. Great quality. <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, thank you guys for watching on Facebook Live. And then those who will hear this on the uh, Floods of Justice podcast later, we appreciate, appreciate you being here. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin. Floods of Justice is part of the Tennessee Holler podcast network. The Tennessee Holler provides relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at www.tnholler.com.